This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are very challenging words to us today. I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday. And here in Matthew's Gospel, we encounter King Jesus' final teaching. He's speaking about the end of the world as we know it and the last judgment. And these words of Jesus are at the same time deeply comforting as he speaks of justice and eternal life and deeply discomforting as he speaks of judgment and eternal punishment. Typically, we want justice for ourselves and judgment for others. Jesus promises justice and judgment for all. Glory is the setting for these uh, challenging words. When the Son of Man, that is Jesus, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. That's two glories in one sentence. Jesus is truly awesome, truly magnificent, truly spectacular, truly glorious. We're probably used to all kinds of grandiose statements about all sorts of things. Until its closure three years ago, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus promised, some of you may remember their traveling circus as what? It was billed as the greatest show on earth. And each time there's an election, we're told this is the most important election of all time. And cars are billed as ultimate driving machines and every new phone as the best ever. But Jesus is not using hyperbole. He's not selling something. Rather, he is proclaiming hope and sounding a warning. The hope is that one day, one glorious day, Jesus is coming again. Not like he did the first time as a baby born in obscurity and poverty, but rather as a visible, powerful king. Every eye will see and everyone will come before him. The promise of his return is a promise that we encounter time and time again in the pages of the New Testament. And Jesus describes a magnificent scene, Christ the King in all his glory and splendor and majesty and power, attended by all the angels with all the nations assembled before him. Jesus, the just judge who loved the world so much that he gave his own life for us, to pay the price for our sin so that we can be forgiven and put right with God is coming again to judge the world. This is indeed glorious. 
For all those whom Jesus describes as being blessed by my Father will inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. This then is the hope of glory, eternal life. Jesus is speaking of that day that the Apostle John described in his dream in the book of Revelation. When Jesus comes again, that vision will become a reality. In Revelation 21, we read that there will be a new heaven and a new earth where the home of God is among mortals. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. This is the glorious hope that Jesus himself speaks of and which we can cling to. The righting of every wrong. Justice at the hands of the just judge. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. This is real. This is true. This will come to pass. No more betrayals. No more pandemics. No more loneliness, lawlessness. No more injustice. Rather, eternal life with Jesus our King. What profound comfort. And, as we press into this text this morning, what profound discomfort. For the hope to be realized, for the glorious resurrection to eternal life that is promised to become a reality, there is also a coming judgment a great and terrible divorce, a final sorting and separation. Jesus is sounding a warning, a warning that we ignore to our peril. In an age of disinformation, false narratives, relative truths, lies and conspiracy theories, Jesus' words need to be heeded, for they are truth, and they're very sobering. For though the king will say to some, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, to others he will say, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. As much as we might like to avoid the reality of separation from God, we cannot if we are to take seriously what Jesus taught. The consequence for those who are accursed is simply terrible, and there is no avoiding this picture of hell. It's not helpful to, to conjure up pictures of horned devils with their toasting forks. Indeed, it may be that those who are cast into the eternal fire will be consumed by it and destroyed forever. But whether hell involves perpetual torment or total annihilation, the result is the same. Total, final, and irreparable 
separation from God and from all that is good and lovely and holy. And that is terrible, terrifying, and terminal. So consumed are we so often by the cares and distractions of this world that we forget the bigger, greater reality of the way the world really is. Our 24-7 news cycle and current events are not actually the big picture. The goal of history is not political stability, energy sustainability, financial vitality, or even world peace. The goal, the end of history, is God's kingdom with Christ the King reigning for all eternity. And so Jesus' words to us today speak of how we should live in the present in the light of Christ coming again in the future. This story of the separation of the sheep from the goats spells out what is required of us. We are given uncompromising, practical, down-to-earth examples of the sort of caring service that is expected of each one of us. And it's actually very basic stuff. Jesus spoke about those who are blessed by my Father, who will inherit the kingdom prepared for them, as being those who, when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. In the Old Testament, we hear God speaking through the prophet Micah, who puts it this way. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The words of Jesus before us this morning are very, very challenging. And they may actually upset some of our theological understandings of what it means to be a Christian. For in this passage, in this sermon, we see no talk of grace and forgiveness or repentance and faith. At least not in so many words. Rather, we see very clear statements about doing good, doing good works. Is Jesus saying then that we are saved by being good or doing good things? No. It's important that we hear these words in the light of all the other words of Jesus that do speak of repentance and faith, of God's love and forgiveness and his grace, that undeserved, unmerited love that he lavishes upon us, not because of all the good things we've done. And yet... In remembering that fullness of what Jesus teaches, we must not water down the stark challenge of today's text because it is Jesus who is speaking. We need to hear and heed the challenge of Jesus' words to us in this, his final sermon, as recorded by Matthew. A few weeks ago on All Saints Day, we read part of Jesus's, well, one of his first sermons, the Sermon on the Mount which was all about, again, those who are blessed by God. And you may recall, they are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we considered not only those things as a mark of a true saint, but also how these things 
are demonstrated. For Jesus went on to teach in that sermon, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for their faith. And so today, in this Jesus' final sermon, he is emphasizing the practical demonstration of our faith and the outworking of the mercy we have received as we care in very ordinary ways for others. And just as we saw over the last two Sundays in the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids, and then again last week in the parable of the talents, there is an urgency about God's call to live our lives for him, to follow him, to trust him, and to serve others. We are called to be ready for Jesus coming again. And we're called to use the gifts he's given us, to invest in his kingdom and not bury our treasure. For one day... It will be too late. One day, there will be a final reckoning and a final judgment. And this actually is what Christian stewardship is all about. How are we going to use all the God-given gifts that God has entrusted to us? How are we going to use these things each and every day? And later in today's service, we will be bringing forward the financial pledge cards that many of you have submitted. And these are, of course, but small tokens of the offering of our whole lives in love and service to God and to our neighbor. And that love and service to God is expressed not just in our worship of God, but in and through our work and vocations and in love and service to others. Being a Christian is not a purely personal matter. It is not only about our individual relationships with God, important though those are. Neither is true Christian faith merely spiritual. It's intensely practical. The challenge before us is how are we to be the people of God in the present as we wait for Christ's coming at some uncertain date. Could be today, could be a long way away. We don't know when. How can we look after those who are in need physically or spiritually? And this is perhaps especially challenging in the midst of a global pandemic. A pandemic that is not merely an inconvenience, but is causing financial hardship, job losses, loneliness, isolation, and has taken the lives of almost 1.4 million people, with more than a quarter of a million of those here in the United States. Well, in response to this, some in our church family are serving Christ in the hospitals and in the clinics, in homeless shelters and nursing homes in and around Pittsburgh. When Jesus is sick, you care for him, bring healing to him, and comfort him. Some in our church family are serving Christ as you prepare meals for those who are shut in or have other needs. When Jesus is hungry, you are feeding him, and you visit him. Some in our church family are serving Christ as you phone those who are alone. You listen to those who are broken-hearted, 
you run errands for those who cannot leave their homes. When Jesus is lonely and hurting, you spend time with him. And some of you will say, but when did we see Jesus cold and hungry or sick or in need? And Jesus will say, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it for me. This is what life in the kingdom is all about. Seeing, loving, serving, listening, helping, honoring, caring for others. Those who are blessed by our Heavenly Father and who will inherit the kingdom prepared for them are those who love God and love their neighbor. What matters is not merely what we say we believe, important though it is as we will affirm today the words of the creed, but what we do as a result of those beliefs also matters. Indeed, it is the proof of those beliefs. Not what we may have professed, but what we have practiced. To use a courtroom analogy, in law, to commit a crime, there need to be two very important distinct features. There has to be both guilty intent and a guilty act. For any lawyers, I'll just geek out here. That's the mens rea, the guilty intent, and the actus reus, the guilty act. You know, intending to rob someone's house is not a crime until you put that intention into practice and you do something about it. It's an old question, but pertinent. If you were charged with being a Christian, would there be sufficient evidence to convict you? Jesus brings justice and judgment to all. And so I close with this question. When Christ comes again, or if your life were to end before that day, and you stand before Jesus, seated on the throne of his glory, will you be placed to his right hand or his left? Will Jesus say to you, come, you that are blessed by God, inherit the kingdom, or will he say, Depart from me into the eternal fire. My hope and my prayer is that not one person who is participating in this service would go to bed tonight without knowing that Jesus truly is the King, without knowing how they will answer that question I just posed. That you all may know the King of love who is and was and who is to come, the King who gave up his own life for you on a cross, the King who now reigns on high and who one day will come again in glory. Christ is the King. Are you in his kingdom? Are you his loyal subject? Let us pray. And I invite you to join me in this prayer 
if you are willing. Lord Jesus, discomfort us by your warnings today. Comfort us with your love. Set before us the hope of glory. Thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I confess my sins. I turn to you. I offer to you my life in your service. Please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit that I might serve you in others. Let no part of my life be withheld from you. My time, my money, my gifts, my work, my every breath is yours. Help me to have no agenda but your agenda. Use me to serve others that they may know you and come to experience your saving love. Amen.